good people it's your boy caesar here and this is an episode of the hybrid club hope all is good you know where to find us on the socials at the hybrid club and you know where to find me at c says c-e-a-s-e-s-a-y-y-s what's good people i don't know how you feel right now but i cannot remember a week like this as an arsenal fan in a long time now don't get me wrong it feels like i've been saying that every week for the past month But it really does feel different, doesn't it? Just the way the news is dropping, just bomber after bomber after bomber. It is relentless and I love it. Now, don't get me wrong. Once this flurry of business is done, we will need to probably pivot and start focusing on outgoings, which is always tricky because, you know, we need to sell some players. But to sell players, you need clubs who want to buy And a lot of the players we want to sell are probably the kind of players that will move later in the window. So other than maybe a couple of surprise moves, I'm not seeing any major business happen for another few weeks. So if anything, the focus will pivot to pre-season and the players coming back to training and prep for the the coming uh, season proper. And then any moves we can make in the next few weeks, we make before we see a flurry towards the end and maybe make a final push in the last couple of weeks for one or two last prospects that we might be interested in. Now, of course, smart in the middle of that, maybe a move for Lavia. Of course, we hear that Liverpool are hot on the, hot on the case, so are Chelsea. But just the fact that in the last couple of weeks, it has just been Arsenal, 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 Arsenal. And this is in the middle of Tottenham signing Madison, which would otherwise be big news. England International, 40 million, you know, moving to the club to be the number 10 who, you know, Spurs will hope will be for Harry Kane, but remains to be seen whether he stays, of course, Bayern, interested in him. You know, Manchester United signed Mason Mount. He becomes their new number seven. You know, they've had number sevens like Best, Cantona, Beckham, you know, Ronaldo. The, to then give it to Mason Mount, that's a big story. You know, what was it, 60 million? Big story, and yet... It is very much the Arsenal who are dominating the press. We're gargantuan. We're massive. And I want to make this point. We have always been massive. We have always been the disruptor. We have always been the team that sometimes moves in uh, fits and starts. But when we move, we move and everybody feels it, right? If we have a a five-year or 10-year period where where we're down bad, we're in the trenches, we're in the slums, we're in the gutter, fine. But then when we come back, we come big. That's always been part of our history. So we had a period where, you know, you had the banter era, you had sort of post-banter era, you know, Ozil, Sanchez, sprinkler FA Cups, underperformance in the league, end of Wenger days, Emery era. But now under Mikel, Edu and co, we are once again the disruptors and i like that it has been a fascinating week fascinating few days not least of which 
the sort of weird emergence of threads as a new social media um, place, just a, a mass migration of, I suppose, uh, Twitterati who are discontent with the way things are being run by, you know, Twitter Baron Musk. It's It was an interesting one because with pretty much all the other social media uh, platforms, I'm very late to the game. I'm never really the one who's sort of there pretty early on. I'm sort of always there late just because I quite like social media as a way to kind of interact with people, stay connected with people. But as a premise, I, I find the entire thing a little bit bizarre, if I'm honest. I don't think we as people should probably ever really know that many other people exist, let alone see and hear that many different opinions from that many people. I just think it's a bit of a I think it's a bit of a mindfuck. I don't think our brains are really built to maintain the breadth of knowledge. Um but that's a whole other um rant. Don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful thing. It's fantastic. Personally I love hearing from people all over and that kind of thing. But when you sort of step back and look at it sort of macro picture it's it's a bit mad the access that that you get to people from all over the world and just how much you know that you otherwise would not know it's it's a bit mad but in any case with threads this is relatively new i say relatively because you know celebs have been on there getting verified and stuff for a little while and but people are starting the mass migration over and it's it is very much like the wild wild west you go on there people are posting you know the timeline makes no sense it's like instagram but twitter you know, it's a bit weird. So if you are on threads, give me a follow. You'll find me at C-C-E-A-S-E-S-E-S-S. Find us at the Hybrid Club. Going to kind of bounce between Insta, TikTok, threads, and Twitter until Elon runs it into the ground. And then we'll see where it goes. It might end up being one of those things that people use for five minutes and go, nah, this ain't working. Or it might take over. You never know. We'll see how that goes. But besides that, really what we're here to talk about is the news in the in the goonosphere starting with of course the massive news that we've all been digesting over the last 24 hours or so confirmation declan rice 105 million pounds 100 million you know 5 million in add-ons which i assume is connected to winning the league champions league blah 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 being paid up over the course of two years i think three installments over two years something like that i i I don't know since this is probably the first transfer that I've seen fans get genuinely obsessed over payment structures. People are sort of dunking on each other in the timeline over payment structures. Oh, where do you got his pants pulled down? Oh, we took your caps in and we're only having to pay this much over this time. You want it in 18 months. We're paying in two years. Listen, I get all of that football rivalry, tribalism will score points wherever they exist. I get that. But for me, the big story here, Declan Rice, West Ham captain, England international, £105 million, record transfer signing, most expensive English player in English football history, and he is imminently going to be a gunner. Now, what's interesting about this is, well, interesting to me, maybe not to you, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. After spending Tuesday just in a grip of tension waiting for the news to drop because obviously this has been going on for weeks and we just want it over with. Um, you know, waiting for Monday, grip of tension, Tuesday, nothing. And I fall asleep. You know, I, th- I can't remember what I was watching. I was watching some kind of, I was watching TV or something, fell asleep, woke up, phone in my hand. You know, first thing I did, you know, check Twitter because why not? And 
boom, the news had dropped basically around midnight, maybe 11 p.m., sometime between 11 and 1. So while I'd fallen asleep, the news dropped, the timeline had been crazy. The news was out there, Ornstein dropping an bomb, confirming that the deal was done. And I slept through it. So it was brilliant news to wake up to after a couple of days of just, it is a bit of a weird one, by the way, just being, you know, a full-grown adult and having your mood dictated to you by whether or not the club you follow has signed this one player. When, anyway, we all know what football fandom's like. I don't have to tell you guys about that. In any case, I was asleep. The news dropped, woke up. First thing I saw, great way to start the day. Now, by all accounts, it looks like the medical is scheduled for Friday. The deal to be announced anytime from Friday. So on Friday, Saturday, who knows? Now, the club are clearly going to have to make a big deal of this signing. They're clearly going to want to. This is not the type of deal Arsenal typically do at all. It, it really has to be said. Throughout our history, even when you know people point to the £72 million for Nicola Pepe, Pepe wasn't worth £72 million. And the person who was behind that deal was no longer at the club like a year later. Um, that player is not worth that. He's good. He ain't £72 million good. He never was. And he probably never will be. So when you subtract that, we have, you know, Sanchez, Ozil. Obviously, recently we've done deals like uh, Kai Havertz, Ben White. Obviously, Ramsdale was expensive for a goalkeeper, but, you know, boy, is he worth it. But, you know, prior to sort of the Ben Whites and 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 that type of thing and the Havertz is, you know, you had your Sanchez, your Ozil. But otherwise, you know, Arsenal were typically signing players for 30 million, 35. Before that, they were signing players for 20 million, 15. Look over our history, you know. When you look at the 10 most expensive signings in Arsenal history, all of them happened post-2014. You know, this isn't... We weren't one of those clubs who was dropping £50 million on players 10 years ago. You know, we weren't, one, we weren't doing that. So this is massive. To go from being a club that, you know, probably what, up until... I want to say up until the sort of Shaka and Mustafi era, up until sort of that era, it could have been that Reyes was our most expensive signing at like just under 20 mil or our Sharvin, one of the two. So, you know, it's been a massive jump. And obviously we know the expansion of football finances. We know how that's going with Newcastle. I mean, talking of things going on in other clubs, Newcastle just dropped 70 million pounds. Newcastle United, we know who they've been taken over by. We, we know the story, but in terms of progression and the progression of football finances, Newcastle have dropped £70 million. Pounds. 30 million, 35 million shy of Declan Rice. £70 million pounds on Sandro Tonali from AC Milan. Good player, good work rate. You know, he's not the deep line playmaker, Pierlo Regen that people thought he would be, but he's a very hard working, industrious player who can get about and, and, and make stuff happen. And you know, he's not really goal, a goals and assist kind of guy in the purest sense, but clearly they're cooking something with a midfield that has the likes of Tonali, Bruno, uh, Bruno Gimaraes, Joel Inton, Willock. Big, strong, hardworking, industrious. They're going for a midfield that will outmuscle you, outwork you, outrun you. We saw how hard it was to beat them at St. James's Park. We saw how hard we had to work for the draw at the Emirates, and they're getting better. 
So we know what the money is doing to football and how teams like Newcastle can go from a relegation battle to mid-table to Europe to Champions League. You know, it's it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, when I think about Arsenal signing Declan Rice and what that means, it cannot be understated how much of a massive statement this signing is for this club. We are massive, but this is stratospheric. So whether or not the player is worth that remains to be seen. I've said on record, I don't think Declan Rice is worth £105 million. I think there will be some fans who are going to be gravely disappointed when they realise we've paid £105 million for probably a £70 million player. But the hope is that at his age, with the way he can improve, with the tools at his disposal and with a coach like Arteta to get the best out of him, he will become a hundred million pounds player in before our very eyes. That will be the aim. And I very much hope that'll be the case because, you know, when you look at what Thomas Partey does for us in that lone six, and when I watch Declan Rice at West Ham, I see Declan Rice doing some of the things Thomas Partey does. I see he do I see him do some things better, like the driving through midfield. Declan Rice has got that down pat. That is Declan Rice to a T. But there are other things, you know, like the quick feet in midfield that's the part that maybe he's got to learn the quick feet in small spaces. He's done it, but he, you know, but party when he does it is next level. You know, I've seen Thomas party pressed by three players and pivot out of it and run into midfield. Declan Rice has to do that part because as, as the lone six, if that's where he plays, he is definitely going to be pressed and he's going to be targeted. He is our record signing. He's the 105 million pound man. Players are going to want to see clips of them that they can put in their highlight reels of them dispossessing him in the middle of midfield and breaking on us with all of our players further forward. He is going to be targeted, particularly, he was already going to be targeted in that role. He's going to be particularly targeted now. Or if he plays in the eight, technical security, we've spoken about that. If you play it sort of eight, 10 hybrid, you know, what we call the Shaka role, quote unquote, but the eight, 10 hybrid. If you play in that position, part of your job is obviously to help unlock the defense but you're going to be making the underlapping underlapping rungs, rotating with the likes of Jesus and Martinelli. Technical security, because if you lose the ball there, our shape is broken and they're breaking on us. So wherever he plays, he's going to be targeted. He's going to need to improve that sort of quick-footed um, turns and turning in small spaces and that kind of thing. I've seen him do it, but now he's got to do it on a bigger scale. And the pressure is going to be different. You know, Rio Ferdinand spoke about this on Five. The pressure for Rice when he moves to an Arsenal is different to playing for a West Ham. The number of eyes that are on you, the expectation that's on you, you don't get a betting in period. I've spoken about the fact that for me personally, I could I give you new signings a year. I give them a whole season before I make any particular judgment because new club, you know, in some instances, new country, new language, obviously not for rice, but um, you know, new environment, new tactics. And also when you're making a move from a club like West Ham to Arsenal, you're going to have more of the ball, but more is going to be expected of you from an attacking sense and a defensive sense. You are going to be expected to beat pretty much every team you play, but every team you play looks at you like the scalp, right? That's part of the problem. So we're at West Ham, fighting for relegation, you're scrapping, there'll be certain games where you'll target to get the points and other games where if you win, it's a bonus. At clubs like Arsenal, you're expected to win 90% of the games you play and people will be desperate for you to win the other 10 because that's the difference between where you are and where you're trying to get to. 
So this is going to be massive. And given the size of this move, the club are going to want to make this announcement massive. You know, we've heard rumours of people like Ashley Waters being brought in for, you know, filming particular scenes. They might get right involved. Love to see, you know, that, uh, the Guna Frimi involved. We don't know what they're going to do. But whatever it is, it needs to be big. It needs to. So fingers crossed that remains to be seen. I don't know why West Ham fans are losing it about him joining Arsenal. It seems it seems to be part of this um, groupthink that there is in English football right now, which is anything that involves Man City is fine. Because of their ownership, because of their money, it doesn't matter, right? If a player signs for West Ham, guaranteed trophies, it's inoffensive because it's Man City. But to lose a player to another team somehow feels wrong because you feel as though you know, I've seen West Ham fans say a move from West Ham to Arsenal is a sidestep. They've won one trophy in like 50 years. We won th- we won more trophies in, what, the last five years than they won in the last 50. So, I don't, you know, there's people who are saying, oh, if he comes to Arsenal, he's not going to win another trophy. Mate, we're, we're averaging in the last, what, in the last 10 years, we're, we're averaging a trophy every two years if you break up the amount of trophies we've won over the last 10. So I don't, I don't see this idea that if he goes to a club that wins on average a trophy every two years, he's not going to win a trophy. When we were five points and the penultimate game of the season away from being able to win a league title, signing someone like Declan Rice to add to that, along with the likes of Timber and Havertz and everyone else, as well as these players being another year older, keeping the group together, which is massive. We talk about the signings, but keeping the group together so that they can gestate and grow another year, that is huge. It's one of the things that, was brilliant about the way the Invincibles were built, for example. Key players stayed and we kept them. Where players moved on, adequately replaced and replaced quickly. So when, you know, early years, 97, 98, you know, when we lost the likes of Perez and, sorry, when we lost the likes of Overmars and Petit, replaced quickly. Lost the lack of Anelka, replaced quickly. But then we had players like, you know, Lundberg, Lauren, Perez, Got these players, Gilberto, got them in, bedded them in, kept them for years, right? There was season after season after season where Vieira was linked with Juve, kept him. Until, you know, by the time we sold him, we sold him at the right time. You know, every single year, Burkamp's contract would run down. One more year, one more year, kept him. You know, retired at the club, a legend. So we're in a position really where we have this team who did amazingly well, played some amazing football. And I implore you to go and watch Arsenal 2022 2023 to remind yourself why that football was not a mirage right this wasn't a case that everyone in the league was rubbish and we were playing okay and did well because of it we were balling teams off the pitch the movement the rotations the passing teams could not live with us when it fell apart was when the players who do that were no longer available that's that's what happened the place where some of the players central to our football were not available and those building blocks those foundations fell apart more on that later so the idea that we can add a Declan Rice to this and we can continue this journey is amazing. So I'm massively looking forward to this. The idea that moving to Arsenal is a sidestep from a team like West Ham, with all due respect to West Ham, I'm happy for them that they won the Europa Conference League. I would never want to be in that tournament, but if you're in it, you have to win it. So I'm happy they did, you know, particularly after they lost the Europa League final the previous season. Happy for them to have won that trophy. But the idea that winning that one trophy means that you are somehow on parity with Arsenal. Listen, I've said it before. 
we may occupy the same city, we may play in the same Premier League, but we are by no means the same. Respect. Respect. So anyway, we're going to hear about Declan Rice soon enough. Fingers crossed news drops on, you know, uh, Thursday, but by all accounts, it sounds like the medical scheduled for Friday. And if that wasn't amazing news enough, later in the day, news again broke. Arsenal, Ajax, agree a fee, Yuri and Timber, a deal that has also been running on for a few weeks now. Reportedly, Arsenal had spoken to the player around the time of the FA Cup final. So thank you to Man United, not only for losing that final, but your being at Wembley facilitating the opportunity to talk to Yuri and Timber. But in any case, um, £38 million is the reported fee, um, all in. Exciting times, exciting. Medical to be arranged, possibly again Thursday or Friday, fingers crossed. I would love for the medical to be done and for the deal to be announced on Thursday, but obviously we know these things take time as well. There's the media duties and everything else. But who knows, we could see a double announcement, maybe one on Thursday, one on Friday, one on Friday, one on Saturday. Who knows? Who knows? Um, there was an interesting article in The Athletic about Timber. Um, if you're subscribed, you know, by all means, have a read. He, of course, has a twin brother named Quinton who plays for Feyenoord, who just won the league this season, giving his brother, you know, one league title to Urians too. Apparently, they're super close up until very recently, lived in the same bedroom, not just the same house, you know, with their parents, family, super tight. Their story is incredible. I do employ you to, you know, see if you can get access to the article, give it a read. It is really interesting um, how they spoke about the brothers' development, um, particularly Urian. Aggressive, hardworking, physical capabilities off the charts, even from young. Not just that, incredibly intelligent, quick to learn, wants to be a leader, desires to be a leader. Uh, you know, that, and that's something that's similar with, say, Declan Rice, for example, that he's someone who wants to take on that responsibility. By all accounts, Yuri and Timber is too. You know, lots of Dutch legends, Winston Bogard, uh, you know, Ronald de Boer, all speaking about him and his quality. One thing I do really like about this player is just the sensational ability to step out into midfield from the defence, the complete lack of fear, the the ability to bounce off a challenge and despite his frame, you know, he's 5'10", he, you know, he's stocky, muscly, you know, a player comes in for a challenge, he'll bounce off them and pivot and speed past them. The only thing I would say is when he does those drives into midfield can be a little reckless, can very much be a little reckless. So may need to just rein that in just a little bit playing in the Premier League because you know, doing those runs into midfield, I reckon the benefit of playing for Arsenal, um, and I think he would have had this benefit playing for Ajax, to be fair, because they dominate that league for the most part and dominate most teams they play. But playing for Arsenal, there should be really good rotations. There should be players close to him, whichever part of the pitch he's on, particularly the part of the pitch he occupies. And when they're not, you know, he's a defender who's shown an ability to be able to defend in space. What I would say is, though, if he's coming up against defenders the size of, uh, sorry, attackers the size of Darwin Nunez, who's already sort of dunked on him in the Champions League game, uh, Ivan Tony, when he's back from his his loan, there'll be certain matchups that will be a risk. You know, we said the same thing with Martinez. Now, 
I think Martinez is very lucky. I don't know how he gets away with it. He is extremely aggressive in defence. He sometimes crosses the line. But I think because of his size, the matchup when he's up against attackers, he doesn't he doesn't get you know, if it was a defender who was six two making some of the challenges Martinez made, they would get record numbers of yellow cards or red cards. Martinez gets away with a lot, but he uses his frame well and he anticipates the ball well. He's got excellent movement. So he's doing really well for United. So I hope Yuri and Timber can do the same or better for Arsenal in that he can use his frame properly, not get not allow himself to be sort of jumped by bigger strikers. He can preempt the movements, cut out balls, squash danger before it arrives. And that way he's not trying to compete in the air with, you know, six foot two, six foot three center forwards. But he is a very, very exciting player with a incredibly high ceiling. I cannot emphasize enough from all reports, from all scouting reports, from players in the game, his ceiling is immense. And make no mistake, he's not come here to sit on the bench. He may start on the bench. He may start at right back. We don't really know what Arteta's plans are, whether Ben White keeps his place at right back and Timber starts on the bench. I know a lot of people think there's a possibility that Arteta might do with Ben White what Pep did with Stones and put him into the midfield and put Timber right back. Personally, I think Timber probably starts on the bench and we grow him into his role. But, you know, if you told me that um, Arteta move things around and, you know, Stone steps in, sorry, uh, White steps into the field like Stones did and Timbers at the back and, you know, or we play two inverted and two at the back with Zinchenko on one side, Timber on the other side, Rice in the middle with uh, Gabriel on Saliba and then, you know, the others further forward. Depending on the opposition, I could believe it. And that's the best part of the moves we're making. There are so many different combinations of play that we can now do because so many of the players are multifaceted and multifunctional. We're not, you know, there was a period of time we had to play the three, the three, five, two, we had to use the wing backs. We did not have the players to do anything else. If we went into a four, we were screwed, right? There's a period of time where we could do the four, three, three, but some of our players were transition players. Some of our players had to play deep. The two didn't make sense. And so we just ended up stretching our midfield and turning our games into, into shuttle runs through our midfield. We now have so many multifunctional players. We can defend in a 4-4-2. We can play the 4-3-3. We could do three at the back. Oh my God, we could do three at the back. We absolutely could. You know, if we need to do wing backs, we can do wing backs. Um, you know, if we wanted to do a 4-2-4, we can do a 4-2-4. You know, if we wanted to do what City did in the Champions League final, what they did towards the end of the season, we can do a, you know, Kivior, Gabriel, Saliba, White, you know, Partey and Rice. And we can have a front four of Saka, Martinelli, Trossard and Jesus, Havertz and Jesus, Eddie and Jesus. We can do a 4-2-4, you know. We can, right? It, we obviously know that, well, I say we know, we don't know if Arteta will switch things around, but we suspect Arteta is going to do his sort of five at the front, five at the back, you know, two, three, five, three, two, five. But I'm I'm just excited about the possibilities and Yuri and Timber, I think is going to be a key component of that, both now and in the future. We know what happened when Saliba got injured, when Tom Yasu got injured. Ben White was carrying an injury towards the end of the season as well. I remember the game against Leeds. There was good chunks of the game um, back end of the season against Leeds where he was 
sort of um, massaging his thigh and groin area just because it, he clearly was carrying some kind of injury. So having an option that doesn't mean, obviously we know Tomiyasu's injuries can be a problem. We're hoping he's over that because when he's fit and fully firing, again, multifunctional player can play completely across the back line to an incredibly high level when he needs to step in. But having another player there who plays exactly in that part of the pitch just negates that risk. If anything, we've got more of a risk on the left-hand side if Tierney leaves, which I'm still expecting to happen. But of course, Tom Yasu can play there. Kivior can play there if we sort of shuffle across and have the 3-2-5. So exciting times, but expect Urien Timber to be unveiled as an Arsenal player soon enough. And honestly, I just cannot wait to see um, what the system looks like. What I will say is though, Tommy Asu gave an interview last season and he was asked about the difference between the prior season and that season. And he said, the difference between then and now is we understand what the manager wants. Artessa asks very specific things of his players. They all talk about the level of detail he goes into. He is, you know, he is built different. If you talk to people in the game, that's what they say about him. He's different. So the players, sometimes it takes a while for them to understand what he wants and I do wonder whether there is a possibility that, you know, players like Rice, Havertz, Timber, it may take them some time to learn. Unfortunately, they're not going to have time. They're going to be expected to hit the ground running. It remains to be seen whether they can. Like I said, reports about Timber suggest his level of intelligence, his ability to pick up concepts and grasp them quickly means he'll be a good fit for a manager like Arteta, which no doubt, if that is the case, would be part of the reason Arteta wanted to sign him. And Arteta appears to got his man, so there may be some risks. And I so that's why I understand some of the concerns about conversations about ripping apart our midfield. Of course, we're expected to hear if the move for Shaka to buy Leverkusen is confirmed soon, which we're expecting to be in and around the time that the Rice deal gets confirmed as well. So it remains to be seen. But for now, all go Arsenal. Exciting times. Rice imminent. Timber imminent. You know what a time to be alive. We also have an update about William Saliba and Reese Nelson. So starting with the latter, of course, reports dropping on Wednesday that Reese Nelson has signed his contract, rejecting bids from clubs in Italy like Milan, various clubs in Germany and in the Premier League. So Reese Nelson has been a free agent since his contract expired on the 30th of June. He didn't report back to training when the other non-internationals reported back to training. I suspect that's because technically at that time he wasn't an Arsenal player. If he has signed that new contract, it hasn't been announced at the time of recording. But of course, by the time I put this out, they could be parading him with the shirt and, you know, doing the rounds and replaying clips of the Bournemouth goal. If he does resign, which it's which it seems like he has, then that's also fantastic news for, for Arteta. For all the talk of whether Arsenal will sign another forward player, another winger, I do think... Arsenal signing another forward is probably going to be heavily dependent on Balogun and or Eddie going. Because if you think about it now, there is currently, you know, in that sort of front five forward line, um, not purely striker, but just generally the forward line, you have, you know, uh, Smithrow, Martinelli, Trossard, Nelson, Eddie, Balogun, Jesus, Havertz. Those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head and that's eight of them right so Marquinhos might get a, a run though I think a loan move out is more likely 
So that's nine. I do think it's quite probable that, you know, a Balogun and or Eddie would have to go for another attacker to come in. I think in terms of a wide forward cover for uh, Saka, I think that's Reese Nelson. You know, the backup for Saka, I think, is Reese Nelson. And while I don't like thinking in terms of starters and backups, because I do think we have to get to that stage of thinking about it from the perspective of starters and finishers or just rotational options, Reese Nelson is not starting above Bukayo Saka unless Bukayo Saka has an insane dip in form or suffers an injury that we all hope will not happen. And I, of course, am superstitiously touching wood, crossing fingers and all of that stuff to to make to hope that doesn't happen. But in essence, I am curious to see what made Reese Nelson, you know, sign that contract. We know, you know, he came through the Arsenal Academy. We know he loves the club. And we know the club would have offered him improved terms. I believe we upped our offer after AC Milan came in for him, uh, convincing him to sign four years with an option of an extra year to make it five. Given that you have the likes of Trossard, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Saka, in those spots, Jesus can play wide right as well. What's made Nelson sign? What promises of minutes do he get? I don't even think he hit 600 minutes in total last season. So given he's not going to get Europa League minutes because we're playing Champions League, what is the expectation for him? I'll be curious to know. But what I will say is he was the golden child, right? You know, we had players like Jack Wilshere, who everyone's excited about um, coming from our, our academy. Obviously, people are talking about Ethan and Waniri now, more on him later. Obviously, Bukayo Saka came through the academy. He is the star boy. But before the star boy, Reese Nelson was the star boy. Speak to anyone at the Arsenal Academy who was there at the time. They will tell you Reese Nelson was the chosen one, the golden child. It hasn't worked out for him. He admittedly speaks about, you know, not necessarily being as professional, maybe in terms of how he prepared himself or kept himself to going, maybe with a diet and that kind of thing. Maybe not quite. When you've been the star for so long, when you've been the golden child, when you've been the chosen one and you've been at the club for pretty much your whole life, you don't know that you don't know anything else. So I think there might be a degree to which the loans in Germany and everything helped him because he probably saw how the other half live. He probably saw, and that's no disrespect to the clubs he, he moved to or played for or anything like that. But I think he probably saw the difference between Arsenal as a club and the rest because there was definitely, at least from the outside looking in, there was definitely a visible shift in how he approached football, how he played the game when he came on the pitch, how he spoke in the media, just how he carried himself, even his aura. There was a shift when he came back from Feyenoord. There was a shift. I think this guy spent a couple of years elsewhere, realised how big Arsenal was. I mean, this was a player who, you know, bagged himself a couple of goals against Forest, got that massive winner against Bournemouth. Like I said, the clubs in Germany, Italy, uh, other clubs in the Premier League after him. And he waited right until the end and agreed a new contract with Arsenal, knowing he's not going to be a starter. So this is a player who clearly has something about him, something he wants to do, I'm just curious to see what it is. Is he, you know, trying to push Saka and gunning for that spot? Does he see another opportunity for himself in another part of the pitch? Is it simply a case that he gets to play Champions League football with Arsenal, you know, get some minutes, show what he can do, kick on, and then maybe, you know, the club have said, if you do this, you can get a sale somewhere else. I do wonder. Or maybe it's just the case that he loves Arsenal. The financial offer was good. 
it's a team that's growing. It's a chance to potentially win a you know Premier League, if not at least some domestic cups, maybe even a Champions League if if all goes well and Arsenal get you know a bit of good fortune. It it makes it makes you wonder. So me personally, I'm happy that we kept him, not least of which because on the low end, if he does okay, we sell him to another club and make some money. But if he does really really well, if he starts to fulfil his potential, we have one hell of a player on our hands and so I really really hope he can fulfill the potential he had because you know um, much like his childhood friend Jaden Sancho two incredibly gifted talented young players who world at their feet looked like they were going in two different trajectories and kind of have ended up in similar spaces where neither has really fulfilled the potential expected of them um, but it remains to be seen because they could both still go stratospheric. Sancho was touching that and then obviously things haven't gone well for him for various reasons in United. Nelson, things went a bit south for him when he was exposed to explode and now he's on the up again. So we'll see where they go, but you know, we mostly care about care about Nelson. There's also Saliba reportedly, you know, um, will be signing a new contract. He's of course back for preseason. We've seen him in the pictures. We've seen him in the videos. He's outside on the grass, ball at his feet, contact training, it's 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 beautiful it's just beautiful so i'm genuinely kind of interested to see when the deal is announced how it's announced you know and just what kind of condition he is come pre-season is it the case where him tomiyasu um martinelli whether they're all fit ready to go from the first game against nuremberg in pre-season next week or is it the case that you know, he's still got a little bit of time to go and actually the need to bring in Timber when we did was in part because we knew we were going to be without um, Saliba for the start of the season. I'm kind of curious, but it's fantastic news that he, he's signing. Obviously, the news dropped before, but the fact that, you know, his signature pen to paper wet ink is imminent, I think is something we can all all be very happy about. And a lot of credit goes to Edu Arteta and the team. You know, people owe Edu an apology for real because some people out there have been incredibly harsh and critical and I try not to take too much of sort of the social media side of things too literally because if you go out and meet football fans you know outside in the real world versus some of the things you see online it's night and day it's not the same thing at all um so I imagine it's probably similar for Edu. I think when he's out and about and he's meeting Arsenal fans, he's probably not getting the reaction he's seeing if he's got, you know, he's seeing on his burner account online. But yeah, he deserves credit. Um, but it's not just that. It's obviously a massive team effort. You know, we think of the people at the top, right? We think of the Edus and the Artesas when we think about deals getting done. But there are so many people necessary to get a deal done. If you watched Gunner Blog's video on how transfers work, you'll get a small snippet into just how much work goes into them, how many conversations happen. One of the things about football is sometimes it can be incredibly stupid. Some deals can be done in incredibly stupid ways, but in a properly run football club, there is a lot of work that is done on them. A lot of people involved, junior scouts, senior scouts, technical staff, data analytics, legal, medical let alone, you know, the actual coaching staff and, and the manager and, you know, the sporting director, sometimes even the owners, genuinely. You, you know, remember when Ashley Cole went to Chelsea, he spoke to Abramovich. So, yeah, the 
really honestly the work that goes into it you know people like tim lewis richard garlic it, it's it is incredible so while you know we give edu and arteta the praise and they get an overwhelming amount of the stick it's a team effort so congratulations to the team for all the work that they do as well um more news of course on the arsenal front because as i said it's just been a flurry of news in the last week or so arsenal announced their latest intakes of scholars including the likes of miles lewis skelly and of course ethan and Winiri. 13 new first year scholars announced with a nice piece written on the Arsenal website. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. Of course you have, because we all consume all Arsenal content all the time. And Winiri is, of course, the star of the lot, although I am very much a fan of uh, Miles Lewis Skelly. I think he is a prospect and a half. Remains to be seen, of course, what he can do, what all of them can do. Now, I want to say congratulations to them all because to get from where they were to get to this point requires hard work, dedication and sacrifice that most adults couldn't fathom, let alone execute. So for them as young children to get to this stage, and I say children because, you know, we're talking about 16 year olds, they are children. To get to this stage is incredible. Them, their families, the people who have helped them get here, their friends, their loved ones should be immensely proud of them. You know, if any of you listening have people involved in the academy setup, it is Lord of the Flies. It is brutal, honestly. The the competition, you know, all of them are talented. All of them are techie. All of them can, you know, trap a ball and drop a shoulder and all of them are techie. But the the mentality, that's the difference. When you've got your mates in school who are, you know, jealous because you're playing for the academy and you're the chosen one in your particular year group and you're swanning around school because you think you've got it you think you've made it because you know you come to school or leave school wearing the academy tracksuit and you're gassed and you lose sight you lose that hunger you lose that edge because you think you've already made it or the ones who you know they grew up in difficult circumstances and get caught up in a life and lose track of football and end up going left. There's all sorts of things. There's people who will take advantage, people who think you're on your way to the Premier League and latch on and use and use and use and distract. There are so many things that could go wrong for academy players. There's even even within the setups, even within the academy setups themselves, you know, you've got to deal with the rejection, the knockback being dropped, you know, your growth spot hasn't happened. So they don't think you're big enough. They don't think you're strong enough. Having to deal with all sorts of setbacks and to show and prove to get to the point where you get taken on as a scholar at a club like Arsenal is no mean feat. So they all deserve massive credit. Equally, as I said, these are children. And as we know from watching football, some of the players that you expect to go big sometimes don't bang. Some of the players that you never saw coming go elite. You know, I saw um, Iwobi in an interview recently saying like he was never really the quote unquote chosen one. He was never really the one that kind of stood out. You know, other players with a bigger profile than him left, moved on, you know, got loans and he stayed and worked and worked and worked and he just kept working and working and grinding. And then so when the opportunity came, he was there, he was present. The squad needed players. He got in, he got his chance, he got his goal and he stayed. And then eventually went for big money to, to Everton. So it doesn't always happen the way you think. You know, we spoke about Reese Nelson being the golden child. And now Shaq, uh, now that Saka is, um, you know, he's the star boy. It doesn't always happen the way you think. So everyone's talking about um, Ethan Nwaniri now. It may not be him. 
you know, when you look at all these scholars, the 13 scholars that are part of the intake, he may not be the one. He might be. You never know. There's sometimes players are spoken about where, you know, their talent is just obvious. They were always going to make it. There are some players like that. That's how he's spoken about. But we know football's a a long business and injuries and, you know, setbacks and that kind of thing. You never know. I just hope all of them have long, amazing, prosperous careers, hopefully with the Arsenal winning lots of trophies for us and for themselves. You know, wish him all the best, honestly. I'm sure they'll do just fine, but it's 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 a tough business. So good luck to all. We know with Enwaniri in particular, he's already agreed to pro terms. So when the scholarship ends, he hits 18. He's currently 16 now. When he hits 18, he'll get his pro contract. And yeah, become a full Arsenal pro. And he just has to continue his development. Despite being 16 years old, he's seen plenty of U21 action. So I'm sure he'll continue in that vein. And if he continues to grow and progress and play above his his age group, he may well find himself getting a loan out and seeing what he can do in full, you know, fully in the fully fledged in the men's game. So congratulations to him, to his family. He's raw, he needs work, but his understanding of the game, his reading of the game, his vision, all impeccable. So it's exciting times. Um yeah, he's just he's just gotta keep going. Um I try not to get too invested in that age group because like I said, there's so many variables about what can happen and where they can go and how it can all work out. Um, Yeah, but good luck to them all, honestly. And again, because this is a one club thing here, the news wasn't just, um, the good news wasn't just reserved for the men's. It wasn't just reserved for the academy. Massive news as well on the women's side as well. Arsenal, of course, excited to sign um, Alessia Russo. Signed after her contract with Manchester United ended. Brilliant video from the club um, announcing um, her arrival. And it's an exciting transfer, not just because, of course, we plucked Man United's best player, which is, you know, always a delight. Rivals always love taking players off their, their off rivals. And, you know, Manchester United women started five years ago, so it's not really right to kind of compare the two. If anything, what Man United are, Tim Stillman says this a lot, and I think it's correct, what Man United are in the men's game is probably what Arsenal women are to the women's game in terms of that history of just relentless trophy winning and being that sort of behemoth of a fixture within that um, with, within that game. I think it will not just be exciting because obviously, you know, we've taken a player off Manchester United. It's exciting because... For a manager like Jonas Eideval, she is exactly the kind of striker he wants. Um, obviously, Miedemar, fantastic player, phenomenal player, just, you know, one of the best. But she doesn't even see herself as a pure out-and-out striker. We know Eideval wants those pure out strikers. He wants the hold-up play. He wants the running the channels, getting on the end of headers, all of that good shit. Now, I like my football more Montemoro than Eideval. Uh, but, you know, I was cultured in the school of Wenger, um, started supporting Arsenal in the Graham days, cultured in the school of Wenger. So I like the grit and the fight, but I also like some of the smooth shit, you know. But what I will say, there is a benefit to the direct style of play and Russo will be an exclamation point on your side of us football. So you'll be fantastic to see as well. Um, speaking of Tim Stillman, he did a excellent podcast over on Arsblog, obviously, which I'm sure you will listen to because... If you're an Arsenal fan and you listen to podcasts, then Arsblog is, you know, the blood father. Um, 
But he spoke about the move, you know, how Arsenal set the agenda for the move in terms of the finances and the structure. Man United, despite wanting to retain their own player, would said we'll match what Arsenal will do, which kind of tells you. Um, but also he he spoke about how, you know, the sold out crowds at the Emirates um, would have helped to sell the move because, of course, you know, we're talking about Champions League semifinals, sold out crowd at the Emirates Stadium for a uh, uh, Women's Champions League game and how you know, that overall picture and the support of the club and the profile of the club would obviously convince someone that this is a great place to be. And I do think that is really, really, really important. The club, I think, are preempting the potential explosion of women's football. And the club has always been in this area a leader. Um, and it looks like we're kind of trying to take that trend a bit further. I hope we do. It's a good thing, you know. Um, investing in the women's game kind of sees us not only return to the top of that game, um, but also be positioned to reap the benefits of that explosion. Now, the biggest, most important reason is because we need to support the women's game. And in particular, from the perspective of Arsenal, the one club identity. The Emirates Stadium isn't the Arsenal men's stadium. It's the stadium belonging to the Arsenal Football Club. That includes the men's, the women's, the academy. And I love this drive to make it one club and to promote it as one club rather than to treat different parts as the main piece, sort of side project. It's one club. And I do think that is important. Um, we know that the women's facilities have been improved drastically over the years. They're improving further still. Um, we really do want to get to a stage where all of the teams that you know have the cannon on their chest all benefit from as much as the club can possibly offer. There's lots the club still can do, lots they still need to do. Um, I do hope that the club push themselves to do the absolute maximum they can because footballers' careers are short. Their earning potential in the women's game is nowhere near the earning potential of the men's game as of yet. So we need to make sure we protect their careers. We need to make sure that we give them the best possible chance of achieving the most they possibly can while they're at the club. And so I'm, I just hope the club continue to do that and do more and push themselves and drive, drive themselves and don't be held back by the constraints of what they see in front of them, but look to the potential possibility of what the women's game could be and put themselves at the forefront. Edu's, you know, showing up in, um, you know, announcement videos, Vinay's on the talking circuit. So the club are very much positioning themselves as a leader in this space. And so they need to, but more than anything, if you love football, if you love the Arsenal, there is no reason you don't love the Arsenal women's team. It's that simple. For me, I love football. I love the Arsenal. So it's a no-brainer. Um, I know some people don't and they feel the need to tell people they don't know. I don't know why you do that. If you're one of those people, I think you're weird. I'm just going to say it. It's the Arsenal. And if it's the Arsenal, they got my backing. It's that simple. So hopefully, if you get a chance this coming season, if you didn't get a chance last season, get down to one of the games. I implore you, as many men's games, women's games, academy games as you can get to, watch them because it's an incredible time to be a football fan um, for the good and sometimes for the worse. So just get out there and enjoy it. Soak it all up. The access to women game, women's game is growing. Access to the academy matches is growing. Both sets are playing more and more games at the Emirates. Tickets are available. For those of us fortunate enough to live, because some of you will be living, you'll be in other countries. And getting to the Emirates to watch any football will be tricky. So I consider myself very fortunate enough to be able to hop onto 
one train and get to the Emirates. You know, I consider myself very fortunate in that regard. I've been to the Emirates more times than I can count. I got to go to Highbury. I got to see, you know, our Invincibles play. I got to see the likes of Henri live, Burkamp live, Perez, Lundberg, Dixon. You know, I got to see legends play in real time. I also got to see the likes of Sesk, Alexis, Ozil. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. So if you're one of those people who are in the proximity to be able to go to a game, I don't care whether it's the men's, I don't care whether it's the women's, I don't care whether it's the academy. If you can, take up the chance, honestly. You'll you'll realise, and again, it's not to, it's not to be uh, divisive, but when you get the opportunity to step inside the stadium, you'll realise it's different to watching it on TV. So if you get the chance, and look, if you're abroad somewhere else, plan a trip a year from now. You know, start putting aside the money, plan a trip for a year from now, take yourself to London, see the sights, get yourself to a game if you can. I know tickets are hard to come by, but as I said, men's, women's academy, wherever it is, get yourself to a game. Um, in any case, back on the football, uh, Russo ended last season in so-so form, got, I think, about 10 WSL goals. So, in truth, United probably should have taken the money, but that's neither here nor there. Um you know, Arsenal came in for, I think, in January because we were in desperate need of a striker. I think Black Stenius was pretty much the only striker we had available. So United should have taken the money. They didn't. She left on a free. We snapped her up. Um, sad for them, great for us. The truth is, though, we're better than United. I think we'll offer a better setup. You know, our back room is better. Uh, our facilities are better. We're further ahead in terms of just what we can offer. So I think she should do really well, particularly playing uh, for a manager like you inside of L. And when we get the likes of Mido and Viv back from injury, I'm sure they'll be linking up beautifully in the in in you know up top. And of course, while Russo can just work over the defense, you then have Blackstinius to um, come on and stretch the back uh, the back lines, turning centre backs' hamstrings into cream cheese, which is just brilliant. So congratulations there. More news, of course, in the Arsenal world. This is going to be a long episode. I'm, I'm going to have to cut this short in a bit. More news in the Arsenal world. Arsene Wenger is finally getting his fucking statue. I repeat, Arsene Wenger is finally getting his fucking statue. Now, I don't care what you think about Arsene Wenger. I don't care whether you were one of those staunch Arsene out people who was, you know, showing up at protests or whether you want those people, you know, throwing right hooks in the stands when things got bleak. I don't care if you love Arson and, you know, you look at him with rose-tinted glasses and think he does no wrong. I don't care who you are. All Arsenal fans, and I personally think all football fans, but in particular, all Arsenal fans should be delighted that this day is finally coming. It is beyond long overdue. The club have been planning this for a while and they want to unveil it on the sort of 20-year anniversary of the, of the Invincibles. So it looks like there's going to be a digital unveiling first and then a small ceremony in person with him, family, friends, and some of the Invincibles in, in, in person. Now, we know the way things ended with Wenger were rough and he was not happy about the way it ended. You know, um, the documentary that came out kind of gave a bit of insight into just how unhappy he was. He was hurt, that was clear. He made the right decision for him and for the club to stay away. We see sort of Fergie and his looming presence over United. That's not really done them any good. But after some time apart, we needed to bring him home. And it was good to see him in attendance at the Emirates last season. I think it was Boxing Day, West Ham. Yeah, he was there. Boxing Day, West Ham. The 3-1 win um, 
he got to see Eddie bag two goals to help us come from behind to win, which is funny because actually he gave Eddie his debut in the League Cup against Norwich, where Eddie came off the bench to score two goals to help us come from behind to win that game, which is actually quite funny. Um, but look, personally, I think Wenger should have a stand at the Emirates named after him, probably the West Stand, because that's the stand where the dugout is. Um, if you told me we named the stadium after him, I would love it. But given the need to sell the naming rights to the stadium to get that sponsorship money, I wonder if that's going to be a little bit of a sticky point. Um, so I think that's unlikely. But for now, Wenger will join the likes of Burkamp, Henri, Herbert Chapman, and technically Ken Fryer as well, um, as having statues at the Emirates. So congratulations to Wenger. I believe the unveiling will be in early August. Um, and I hope all gooners out there who get anywhere near the stadium, go on match days, will be able to snap themselves a picture with with Wenger. I hope it's life-size as well. You know, I don't know what the pose is going to be. Some people are voting for the arms outstretched when he got sent off um, against Man United. Some people want him to be holding up the, um, holding up the Invincibles trophy. I kind of like uh, sort of uh, one of him struggling with the zip. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I think, you know, hands outstretched um, after we won the league at White Hart Lane, you know, the sort of hands up in the air, red tie on, I think that's great. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, just l- last couple bits before we wrap up. Um, there was, of course, an interview that came out, um, Gabriel Jesus. Apologies, I don't know the name of the Brazilian show that it appeared in, but it was translated helpfully by uh, Renato, at O Renato. And Jesus made some interesting points, so I thought we'd just go over them um, before we delve into a couple of other matters and then wrap things up. In the recording of the podcast, um, Jesus spoke about you know his time just before coming to Arsenal and uh, then sort of the conversations uh, before he joined. So I thought I'd take each of the things he spoke about in turn and kind of just give my thoughts on them. So he starts off by um, saying, essentially, that Mikel Arteta wanted him back in 2021. But City sort of rebuffed the offer right away. And Guardiola only told Jesus about the interest four months later, um, that December. Now, if you recall, summer 2021, that was the summer when Arteta essentially took over um, with Edu the transfer business. This is something that people forget when they talk about the money that Arsenal has spent. For the first 18 months of his time at Arsenal, Arteta was head coach. He did not have responsibility for the transfers. He had input but he was not responsible for them. Summer 2020, that was Raul. And he was fired in August of 2020. But by that time, the decision was already, the decisions were already taken. And so Eddie was carrying out, um, Eddie was carrying out Raul, Raul and the exec's plans. That January holding over period, again, most of that was already planned. Plus Edu and the contacts book kind of doing whatever they could do. Summer 2021 was when the Arteta-Edu axis really begun. And that's when you saw the signings of the likes of Erdegaard, Ramsdale, Tomiyasu. That's when we pivoted strategy, right? So when you want to talk about Arteta's spend or what Arteta have spent under the Arteta project, you're talking really about summer 2021. Before summer 2021, that wasn't Arteta. That was Raul and co. Important when we're talking about how much money the Arteta project spent and what it's won. But, you know, people don't want to hear truth or logic or context because it kind of ruins the banter. So I, I, I appreciate that. But I think one of the reasons that's interesting is because, as I said, we were signing Odegaard, Ramsdale, Tomiyasu. Imagine you add Gabriel Jesus to that. We would be cooking much sooner. 
you know, the style of football we would have been able to play. It would have been transformative. That season we had Lacazette up top and we really struggled for goals, right? Imagine we had Jesus and he upped that level. Now, of course, he came later on with Sinchenko that same summer and the two of them combined really took us up a notch. But just imagine what it could have been if we got him a season earlier. Um, he then also spoke about the fact that um, he spoke to Edu about six months before joining. So bear in mind that we were in a position where Lacazette was um, not firing. There was talks about getting a striker in January, you know, reports about Vlahovic. And Arsenal decided not to go for, not to overpay for Vlahovic or an Isak or try for a Jonathan David um, and instead keep the powder dry for a move in the summer. Now, it turns out that, of course, Edu spoke to Jesus six months earlier around the time we were all having conversations about whether or not to buy a striker, whether to trust Eddie or blah, blah, blah. Eddie and Jesus spoke. And Jesus spoke about the conversation and said, Eddie asked him, what do you dream of for your career? What do you want to achieve? And Jesus' response to those questions were, I want to be happy playing football. Edu then replied, that's what I wanted to hear. Now, I remember an interview with Edu a year or so ago um, where he spoke about turning down players for the Artessa project after speaking to them because their mentality wasn't right for the project. It does make me think that he heard that answer from Jesus and instead of hearing a player who had won everything and, you know, was basically content and was probably only focused on winning the World Cup for Brazil, but otherwise from a footballing perspective, was satiated. He didn't hear that. He heard a player who was hungry for something more who wanted more on an innate level you know when someone tells you i want to i want to move i want to change because i want to be happy that's someone who's motivated to move for the right reasons and so that would have been music to, to edu's ears particularly when you consider the talent of the player and the relative good relations between the clubs it pretty much tells you that um that's a deal that once he heard that He'd heard everything he needed, and then it was just about making the deal happen. And of course, you recall that the Jesus move happened pretty quickly in the summer window. And I'm guessing it's because Arteta, Adu, and the likes put in the work over the course of those six months in the same way they did with Declan Rice. Um, asked about the biggest difference between Arteta and Guardiola, he says, Mikel, Mikel wants us to be very intensive. We have a young squad, so he wants us to be running all the time. Now, Pep, he has players in their prime. So for them, it's more about timing, spacing, you know, they're more mature. They've played together for longer bar a couple of exceptions. So they know each other's movements. They know each other, where each other are going to be. And of course, they've got exceptional technical quality. They can, of course, outrun you as well. They can power past you. We saw John Stone stepping into field, midfield and carrying the ball into the final third. We saw the likes of Nathan Ake getting the ball back, backing into Saka in the defensive position, spinning him and sprinting through our midfield. We know what the likes of Kevin De Bruyne can do. We saw the goal at the at the Etihad towards the end of last season. So they can outrun you. Um, they're signing Gravidol. And if there is a player that can carry the ball through the thirds from defence to attack, it's Gravidol, let me tell you. So they've got players and are getting players that can do that. But we have to make up the difference with, you know, the youthful exuberance and our ability to run because, you know, we are the youngest squad in the Premier League. We have, you know, we're converging on an average age of 24. So we can run and we need to. And so we can bridge that's their skills, knowledge and experience with the extra work. Eventually our players, of course, will 
age into their prime and maybe we can then outrun and have that maturity that know-how that knowledge and do both and achieve something but it's interesting that you know that's the way that Arteta is bridging that gap for the time being Jesus then went on to speak about the moment Arsenal lost the league and this for some reason seems to be the part that's most contentious for people despite the fact for me it seems literally most obvious he says um, he essentially spoke about the fact that the league was lost when Saliba got injured. Um, he said, when he plays, we concede few goals. When he doesn't play, the number of goals conceded increases. It seems pretty basic. Um, yet this is the part that seems to, if you go to the quote tweets of it, this is the part that has people in a tizzy, and I don't know why. Mostly rival fans, but what do you, what can you expect? Regardless of what the underlying metrics were saying post-World Cup, which was suggesting that Arsenal were getting a little bit more vulnerable defensively, particularly when it came to chances, big chances being created in our penalty area by opposition teams, although those metrics were slightly skewed by us getting you know moved around at Everton um, away. In any case, the metrics were showing that we were getting more and more vulnerable to chances being created in our penalty area post-Christmas. That being said, in terms of on the pitch results, they did not start going sideways. Other than, you know, the January blip, they did not start going sideways until the Saliba Tomiyasu injuries. That's it. The Saliba Tomiyasu injuries happened. We didn't have, you know, cover to the adequate level. It affected our build-up, our ability to manage games, to control games. It forced teams to drop back. It destabilized our defense because we couldn't play the same way. Teams started pressing us more, couldn't handle the press. Um they started going long into us, making us run into the channels. That caused us more problems. And yeah, our football fell apart. It's that simple. And then Arteta found a solution and it was a bit of a mixed bag after that. Wins against, you know, Newcastle, Chelsea, Spurs, drop points against the likes of Brighton and Forest. So it was a mixed bag after that, trying out a new system. That can happen. But it's simple. We lost Saliba and Tomiyasu in the same game and our season fell apart. And the squad wasn't that yet re- wasn't that then yet ready to sustain a title challenge. Simples. But, you know, why let the truth get in the way of banter? I suppose that's that's football at the end of the day. Um, on that point, though, I do just want to remind people, Man City did only win the league on the penultimate game of the season. It was game week 37 that they won the league. We only lost it by five points. That's a loss and a draw. But again... I don't know how, you know, I don't know how much closer people wanted us to get. Game week 37 seems like a title challenge to me. People thought we'd fall away much sooner. So, you know, but again, why let the truth get in the way of a, of a, of a bit of banter? Um, there's also um, conversation about Partey. So Thomas Partey due back any time now to report back for preseason training. Reports are that he wants to have a conversation with the club to find out what his situation is. He's seen the reports about... Saudi Arabia, Nuve, and what's know what the plan is. He obviously would have seen that we're spending £105 million on Declan Rice, a player who can play in his spot. So you'd imagine he probably wants some answers if he hasn't had them already. Um, there, there are, I imagine, a lot of factors that are going to go into whether or not he decides to stay. Um, but for me, I've said, I think, you know, if, despite the fact it's a massive risk, if we can make back the majority of the money that we spent on him, then if that opportunity is there, you take the sale. We've had too many occasions now where we've had an opportunity to make money on aging players 
and we haven't, and they've gone for free. Even with some of the young players like Maitland-Niles, we could have taken the offer from Wolves, we didn't, and he's left for free. And that's just silly. So if you've got a player like him, who's 30 plus and has shown that he struggles to maintain his form and his fitness throughout an entire season, if you get an offer for a player like that, that's close to their valuation that you paid for them three years ago, I think you really got to consider it. We'll have to, of course, see what happens. We've got Jorginho there as well. I think people forget that he exists, but and he did well coming in. So if you're telling me he can play a few games here and there um, alongside Rice, then I think we'll be okay, provided we get someone else in. I feel like the club will probably keep him unless a big offer comes in. However, from the players, uh, from the players' perspective, like I said, seeing us break our record transfer and buy the most expensive player in English history, uh, English history. In his position, I wonder why he'd stay. Um, now, unless Rice is going to play in the sort of 8-10, um, which would then question what Arteta told Havertz to make him join, you would suspect that Rice is going to play the 6 instead of the party. So if Partey decides to stay despite that fact, you then got to question what the mentality is. So there's a sort of theory in um, behavioral psychology called group locomotive hypothesis. And stay with me. It basically says that, and if you allow me to bastardize for a bit, I'm going to try and break it down. It essentially says that pressure towards uniformity amongst a group can arise where sort of a uniformity is desirable or needed to achieve a common aim. So in short, members of a group will be motivated to achieve group goals. May seem obvious, but we see in football teams at football clubs all the time where there is one or two sort of disgruntled players and it can completely mess up the the mood and the harmony in a dressing room. We saw it ourselves a few years back when, you know, we had a bloated squad and a few players couldn't be registered and the leaks that were coming out, the form, the way we played, horrible. Last season, Arteta, uh, sorry, last season, Pep, Man City, you know, people spoke about them, you know, not quite having it together at the start of the season. We know that there are reports of players who are unhappy. Cancelo got booted out. Next thing you know, they go on a mad winning run and do the treble. So these things can have a massive effect. Arteta's clearly building a group whose needs and desires align. So you've got the youngest team in the league, group of young, hungry, hardworking professionals converging on average over 24. Many of them signed from clubs where a move to Arsenal would have been a step up. Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Rice, Timber. There's a sprinkling of leadership-minded players with something to prove from top four rivals or elite European teams. Odegaard from Madrid, something to prove. Havertz from Chelsea, something to prove. Um, Jesus from City was never the main man, something to prove. Zinchenko, City, never the main man, something to prove. There is a harmony um, about the players that Arteta is signing for this project. So if a player like Partey stays, is he on the boat? Because he really should only stay if he's on the boat, regardless of whether Partey starts in his position. So regardless of whether Rice starts in his position or not. Otherwise, it can be disruptive. So I wonder, based on a conversation that will happen, if he decides to stay and play Champions League football with Arsenal, will it be because he's motivated to fight for his place and be part of the team that's trying to achieve something? Or will it be because he likes living in London, doesn't want to get pushed out, happy with his salary, and so digs his heels in? So it's too early to tell. We can't start going to those places because ultimately a conversation hasn't even happened yet. It might be that he and the club are perfectly aligned 
about what his role is and he's more than happy to fulfill that role. We do not know. As said, me personally, I'd sell if the opportunity arose, but it remains to be seen what the what what the outcome is. That's one to watch. And lastly, before I let you go, I know this has been a long one. We've definitely overrun. Um, it's great to see Smith Rowe getting some game time. He's doing really well for the England's under-21s at the under-21 Euros. England just beat Israel 3-0 in the semi-final. They'll now face Spain in the final. It would be great for him to win the tournament, come back under-21 European Championship medalist and be able to go on a break, have a little holiday, return to the club in time for the Emirates Cup and in time to be part of a massive push uh, for silverware this season. Obviously, he had a disappointing 2022-2023, but there is a chance for him to turn that around and become an important fixture in this side. I don't know about you guys, but I really hope we get our number 10 back, you know, and back to looking like the player he looked like when he first came into the team and when he built on that the following season. Now, of course, we know he's had those groin injuries for a, a long time and he was getting injections for them, managing the pain, had the surgery. He appears to be a lot better now, putting in the performances. Fingers crossed, we get Smith-Rowe back, 10 on his back, cannon on his chest, doing the business for the Arsenal. Let's see how he does. Fingers crossed and good luck to him for the final. Anyway, that's it from me. Like I said, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hybrid Club that ran a little bit longer. It's your boy Caesar here at C Says, C E A S E S A W I S. You know where to find us at the Hybrid Club. That's it from me. Chances are, by the time I drop this, we've signed another five players and Arteta has, you know, gone to the moon and back. But what can we do, right? We put this out. I connect with all of you and then stuff happens because isn't that just a transfer window? In any case, people, enjoy the end to your week. Enjoy the imminent signings of rice and timber. Glow, drink it in, consume all of the content that you possibly can. You know, rub it in the faces of your brother, your sister, your mum, your dad, your cousin, that uncle that doesn't even watch football, that aunt that's, you know, only there because, you know, there are family matters to take care of and she really wants to have a really serious conversation. Rub it in all their faces. Just rub it in their faces. Rival fans, get in there, rub it in their faces because soon enough, the talk, the talk will be over and it will be about the football and it will be about whether these players, the club have signed, can play the football the club have brought them to play. We cannot regress every other team is getting better we have to get better still you have to outstrip their progress so it's not about just getting better it's about getting even better so that other teams who are improving can't get near you so there's a lot of work to do soon enough it won't be about the fact that arsenal signed Declan Rice for 105 million it will be about whether or not Declan Rice is worth 105 million and that will be decided on the pitch so enjoy all of it because soon the pressure starts Anyway, that's it for me, people. In a bit. In a bit. Gabriel Martinelli is scoring for Arsenal!